Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. As always, we want to give a special shout out to our season two sponsor, Accurix. That's A-C-C-U-R-I-C-S. Accurix is a infrastructure as code security company, which helps codify security for your cloud native infrastructure by codifying security throughout the development lifecycle. They also manage the popular open source IAC project, TerraScan. Visit them at Accurix.com for more. Thank you for joining us on the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by Megan Jacko. Megan, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. So for folks that aren't familiar with you, do you mind telling us a bit about your background and you know how you broke into cyber and that kind of thing? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So like Chris said, my name is Megan and I have been in industry for just under a year now. So I started with Cyber Future Foundation doing risk assessment and operations for small businesses and also planning out uh, one of their cyber forums. And I just always have loved to operationalize things and been very curious. But you might think like, okay, well, you know, if you just were under a year, what did you do before? So prior to this, I was a STEM educator. So I taught engineering and computer science to 11th and 12th graders. And I always loved to make everything as hands-on as possible. So I would actually have a maker and breaker lab where we would look at the hardware. We look at, oh, here's the capacitors. Okay, how does that relate to this? Let's actually put Ohm's law into practice. Let's explode an LED to see like what happens if you overload this. And then let's now build an actual good circuit and, and use that. So did a lot of different things like that. And I decided about four years ago that, you know, I really think I want to be doing this work in addition to educating others about it. What would that look like? How would I do that? And so I actually went back to school. And I worked on getting a second bachelor's degree in comp sci with a focus in cybersecurity networking. And I just finished that earlier this year. And then I was able to pivot that to start my first full-time role in cybersecurity, which has been with Recorded Future as a cyber threat intelligence analyst. That's amazing. I mean, I love your your background sort of in education. I know that you've been working towards this for a while, you know, sort of working towards this cybersecurity role. And I wanted to sort of, before we get into questions, I wanted to mention that you and I met on LinkedIn and I was very impressed with you like immediately when we met and we just started talking about our passions and how like aligned we were. And so I really wanted to have you on and ask you a lot about how you sort of how you got into your first role and and sort of how it's been going. So so as you mentioned, you sort of landed your your first role, which congratulations, it's incredible. So how has your experience been since you've since you've sort of gotten into this uh, cyber focused role? Yeah, I absolutely love it. So we have so much data at our fingertips, both from things that have been collected, things shared with us, things that we use NLP to process, and so it's it's been really fun, to, like wonderful actually to be able to start then working through that and thinking analytically about how um, it, this information can critically impact our clients and really help them do the work that they need to do to have a better cyber posture. And so one of the big things that's really important for us is that intelligence should always be actionable. 
And so it shouldn't just be this standalone bubble. Okay, here's some information. Eh. Um, no, you should be able to do something with it. And that aligned so tightly with what I believe, because I really want anyone that can work on this to work on it and be more proactive in the way they have their cyber posture. And I feel like that just makes everyone stronger. It makes the individual stronger, the company stronger, the country stronger. And so that was really something that I loved. And my team is great. Like I absolutely love being able to onboard and work with them because it's one of those situations where I had some experience, but not a lot of experience. And they have just been so wonderful and helping me feel very comfortable and, you know, like, oh, you can ask whatever question you have. So that's been just absolutely lovely. Yeah, that's awesome. You have an organization that's willing to work with you and and kind of help you grow in that way. And I loved your perspective about like how it can help the organization, but individual organization and the country. I love that, uh, you know, from, from micro to macro perspective, you know, something I talked to you about uh, off air before we went online was like, I, I got lucky in the sense that I came into the career field because I just joined the military and I got put in this career field and I happened to like it and I've stuck with it, you know, for 20 years now. But for someone who had to transition into this career field, you know, not, not being in it initially, you know, we always hear about, oh, we have such a shortage of cybersecurity people. And then we see the job descriptions and it's like, hell, I couldn't qualify for that. And I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm curious, as someone that broke into the career field recently, you know, formally, what, what were some of the biggest challenges you had, like biggest impediments you ran into? And, and, you know, can you explain like how those impacted your job search and your transition? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. I mean, I really think like some of those job descriptions are just so ridiculous because you see these things that will ask for 14 years of experience in Docker and that hasn't been around that long. And you're like that, that it's not even possible unless you're a time traveler. So, and so it's one of those things where early on I was doing some different career coaching and working with people. And I just heard over and over again, you know, don't let yourself be the person who says no to yourself for the position it's not, I mean, it's not like I was applying for like CISO positions or anything like that. So it's like, don't, don't let yourself say no. You should try to apply for a variety of different things that are of interest to you and let your passion speak for yourself. Let the work that you've been doing speak for yourself. And that, that is harder to kind of get into that mind frame of, I don't really meet these qualifications, especially coming as a career pivoter because I was really good at my job and I met the qualifications for that. And so that, that, you know, is a little bit of a psychological thing that you have to say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm still going to apply. And then the other thing that I thought about really early on was in security, people are going to take a chance if they decide to employ you, right? And they're going to be more likely to take a chance on a known quantity than an unknown quantity. So any way you can make sure that you are known and known in like a positive way, you know, known and that you are also giving back to the community. Because I knew that I was receiving so many different like pieces of information, connections with people. Well, what can I do to give back and continue to get my name out there? So those were a couple of different things that I started to do because at first I was just kind of like on the sidelines, just looking at what was happening. And then I was like, you know, I really need to leave my stealth mode and actually get involved in the community. Well, how can I do that? Well, I could give a talk about how one pivots to this and what that experience is like. I could mentor people. I've spoken at a lot of conferences as an educator. I could mentor people on CFPs. I could mentor people on how to give a first-time talk. And so those were some of the things that I started doing. And then I felt like putting myself out there 
really, really turned into meeting more and more people. And then all those different people were like looking out for me and kind of like, oh yeah, I know Megan's looking for a job. Oh yeah, I know this is happening. And so joining different organizations, networking, connecting with people, I felt like all of that really, really helped me break in. And then I became a known quantity. You know, it's like, oh, people have heard that name before, Megan Jacquot. Oh yeah, I've heard of her. Oh yeah, she did this, she did that. And so then someone's more willing to vouch for you. They know you're not a bot. <laughs> you know, they know they know you're a real person. They know you're out there trying. And so I think that that was a really big piece of it was becoming a known quantity. Yeah, I think that's really incredible. I wanted to highlight a couple of things you said. Like in the in the beginning of your comment, you mentioned like the job descriptions, and I think you know a certain technology aside, we often see like an entry level role requiring like a CISSP a certification that requires like five years five years of experience. Like it just doesn't make sense. And if you're looking for entry level people, you need to align your job descriptions accordingly. And I think it's a it speaks volumes to the organization you're with right now that they were willing to bring you in and, and foster your growth and your learning and teach you along that journey and take a chance on you. But also, I think it's really incredible that you, like what jumped out to me is like you made a comment about giving back to the community. You weren't even in the community yet and you were finding ways to give back to the community and like get yourself out there and be uncomfortable and just learn and network and, you know, and be vulnerable and just kind of go through that process. And I think uh, that really can do some wonders for folks looking to break into their career field and taking that advice that you just gave. So that was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. One one thing I would share with me fairly early on was wherever you are in your journey, you're a little bit further along than someone else. And so really trying to take that to heart, like you, you might feel like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. How could I give something back? What could I share? But you're a little further along. So you could share what you've learned from where you are. And that can help someone else who's not quite as far as you are. I think that's a really great piece of advice. And I wanted to touch on something you mentioned just just a second ago about sort of having the courage to put yourself out there. Because one of the ways that people are able to, to find you and to find your interests is by putting them out there. But it can be really challenging, especially when you're early on and like, oh, I want to share what I'm interested in, but I'm, I'm a little hesitant. But I certainly encourage that as well. You know, that was one of the one of the reasons why you know, early on, I was interested in vulnerability chaining and low and medium vulnerabilities. And people kept telling me like, no one's interested in that. No one cares about low and medium vulnerabilities. But I was like, well, I'm going to talk about it anyway and see what happens. And so I think it is important for anyone who, whatever their interests might be in cybersecurity, just to share that experience and, and share that interest. I was also curious, sort of from that perspective, all the different things that you sort of mentioned what do you think is the best advice out of networking, you know, going to conferences and volunteering, you know, sort of speaking about your interests? What do you think is some of the best advice that you could give for people interested in getting into cybersecurity for where they should start? Yeah. So one of the things that I thought about, you know, I'd always loved technology. And so I was like, I think I want to switch to technology. And then within that, that's massive. So then I thought about, you know, what are some of the things I like about technology? Well, I, I like data. I like the idea of being proactive. I like the idea of protecting other people. And so then I thought about, well, you know, that al aligns a lot to cybersecurity. And then you start looking at cybersecurity and you're like, oh my gosh, this is such a huge field. <laughs> so it's, it's figuring out different ways to get yourself more and more narrow. And one of the ways that you can try and do that is also to experience and experiment with a lot of things. Because the fewer experiences that you have, the less likely you are to even know what piques your interest. And even if you're like, oh my gosh, reverse engineering malware sounds so hard and how could I ever learn anything about it? What if you went to like an intro level talk on that 
And if you're really interested and passionate about it, you're going to figure out ways to chip away at what you don't know. And so I think that that is going to be something that is going to be really, really important for people to keep in mind, you know, being curious, trying a variety of different things, and then very consciously checking in with yourself. Like I journaled and, and thinking about like how you can get more and more narrow so then you have more of a niche within cybersecurity. And then I think once you know, okay, these are some of the big things I'm interested in, then just start talking to those people and say, hey, I'm trying to learn more about this. I saw that you do this. Would you be willing to chat with me about it and asking those type of questions? So I think that that's going to be really, really impactful. So specific networking, not just generalized, I think is really, really important. And if you reach out to someone, don't just click connect on LinkedIn, like actually send them something. Try try to like foster that connection. Like I would do, hey, would you be willing to have a 15 minute virtual coffee chat? And for the most part, people were very willing and some people didn't get back. And I never took that personally. You know, I thought, you know, maybe they don't use LinkedIn Messenger. Maybe they're so busy. Maybe I'll try them back in like a couple weeks, you know, something like that. And so I think trying to foster more specific targeted connections because you've narrowed what you're interested in can be really, really powerful and impactful. Yeah, you dropped so many gems there. I think is uh, is really important is is niching down, like finding your specialty because cybersecurity really is such a broad career field. I mean, you could be doing it for a couple decades and and still not know much about certain domains because it, it's just really so broad and it keeps going and growing. And everyone has like their area of expertise, and, and that's really good advice to kind of niche down and see what you're interested in and connect with people that specialize in that in that niche. And then also from like the the networking perspective, it sounds crazy, but I have like twenty thousand people I'm, I'm connected with on LinkedIn. And I literally message almost every person I connect with and say, hey, really happy to connect, you know, that kind of thing. Some people respond, some people I never hear from. And that's okay. I made an effort to try to at least have some kind of connection with them instead of just like a random click of a button. And, and, and you know, sometimes I end up having a conversation with them or they come on the podcast or who knows what where it may go. So I think that's really great advice too. And one, the last question I asked you, you gave advice, you know, for people looking to break into the career field. My question is someone who is doing that, you know, what can you say on the flip side to like employers or organizations within the cybersecurity community, that kind of thing? What can we do to be more inclusive and more opening to folks looking to break into the career field and give them more opportunity? Any advice from that perspective? Yeah, I, I love that question, too, because I think it's so important that everyone be thinking about this, right? It's it's not just the, the person who's seeking the role. It's also on the employer end, on the HR end. And so I think parts of it literally go into how is that job description written? Who's vetting it? So if the job description is only written by HR, but then the hiring manager never looks at it, or there's not a lot of communication between those people, like that, that should be a collaborative approach. And then also taking a look at how friendly is the job description regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. So some of the word choices that are literally used can alienate people, and then they're going to be less likely to apply for jobs. And then sometimes if you have like, let's say like you've got six different rounds to an interview, you know, that's six different times someone might need to take off from their job. And what if they are trying to pivot and they are a, you know, shift wage worker, you can't just take off six different times from your job. And that's just for one place you might be interviewing, you might be interviewing for different places. So I think being really considerate about how 
many times you have rounds of interviews is also incredibly important too, because it's not just that someone has necessarily that flexibility in their schedule that they can take off all that time. So I think those are some of the really big things. And then, you know, things right now are really virtual, but if when they go back to in-person for interviewing, also kind of keeping that in mind as well, does someone have to travel really far to get to your interview spot um, if you're doing it in person? So just keeping in mind like all sorts of considerations for people of different socioeconomic status, um, for people of a variety of backgrounds, I think is, is really important. And then I know that for the most part, different places I interviewed with, so I, I identify as a woman. And so there were, there were always women as part of the interview team. And so I, I definitely appreciated that. So that made me know like, okay, I A, won't be the only woman on this team. <laughs> and, and B, that that's part of their interview process, that it is a little bit more diverse in like the panel of interviewees, of interviewers. And so I think that that's also a consideration to make. Like, does everyone here on our panel look the same? Does everyone come from the same background or is there diversity of backgrounds? I think that's a a really powerful statement because I, you know, in the past, I've certainly been the only female on a team, on a technical team, uh, probably most of my career. And I, I honestly, thinking back on it, I can't think of how many times, you know, in the past that I've actually had females on uh, an interview panel. So I think that 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 is a very powerful statement. And I know that that can help, you know, with someone's comfort level, making them feel comfortable about, because it's a two-way street, right? Interviewing is a two-way street. It's the company interviewing the person and the person interviewing the company and and seeing if it's going to work out. So I just, I appreciate that answer. I think that's, that's a powerful statement. So I'm curious of, because you and I actually ran into each other at the Women in Cyber Conference in Colorado, and uh, which was a great conference, by the way. It was that I, I thought it was really well done. The talks were great. But I was curious, because we were sort of talking there about, you know, volunteering at conferences and networking and sort of, you know, meeting people and interacting. And so I'm curious out of the last, you know, year or so, or, or even longer than that, that you've been sort of working your way into cyber what would you say is the most impactful thing on your career? I know you mentioned like a little bit about networking and and sort of finding your niche, but would you say that, you know, volunteering at conferences or speaking at conferences, like wh- where do you think that uh, people should sort of focus their energy? Yeah. So I, I personally feel very comfortable speaking at conferences. I'd, I'd been doing it for years. And so I think it's going to depend on your your comfort level. So if that's something you're not comfortable in yet, you could try with smaller conferences. Um, you could try with smaller things. But if you are comfortable, I, I would recommend trying to speak at a conference because it, it does exactly what I was talking about before. It makes you a known quantity. And then people can actually go almost always nowadays, conference talks are recorded. So then you can actually post those as part of your LinkedIn. So I have those as part of my project section. Um, different talks that I've given. So a friend of mine, um, you know, her name is, she actually goes by Data Diva. And so she's absolutely lovely. And so we had a talk early on and she was like, oh, you know, one of the things I do is every single talk I give, I, I put in my LinkedIn. So that's another proof of concept about the work I'm doing. And so that's something that someone can go and look at. And so they can see how you speak to something. But if that's not something you're comfortable with, every conference that I've gone to actually including Black Hat because I went to Black Hat as a conference associate. 
every conference that I've gone to has some sort of role where they need people. <laughs> they they take a tremendous amount of work to put on. And so you can be someone behind the scenes literally telling speakers, "Oh, you have 5 minutes left." And you're you're typing that. Like so you're you're the speaker wrangler. You can be someone who's helping with the Slack channel. Um, you can be someone who's helping post on social media. There's so many different roles and they need a lot of different help. And that's just another way where you can meet people who are also interested and passionate about cybersecurity and and help out. So I have I've found that conference involvement in general, I, I think is is incredibly impactful. So it, it helps you get more integrated into organizations, integrated into the industry. And you just, you meet people that way. So I, I would say any sort of way you can get involved in conferences, either is speaking and volunteering or just with volunteering at first. I, I think it's really, really helpful. As far as um, like, you know, you talked about speaking at conferences and that's something you're really comfortable with. I'm curious, like, to be honest with you, like for a long time in my career, I was not comfortable. I'm not necessarily a public speaker, which is weird because I'm here on a podcast with you. Yeah, you know, something I've grown into being comfortable with. For me, like comfort comes with like competence. Like as I've gotten more competent in the career field, I've been more comfortable talking. Do you have any recommendations for folks that haven't maybe done much public speaking, you know, just at a, at a high level, like how to get more comfortable with that, how to approach maybe doing your first conference, uh, anything along those lines? Yeah. So I, I think that's where like mentorship can come into place too. So we're you could give a mock talk, so it's a practice talk, and, and get feedback on that. So I did that with a couple different people where I helped give them feedback on their talks and their sequencing and pacing. And then, you know, eventually, a lot of it just comes down to just trying it. And a lot of the virtual presenting is actually easier than the in-person presenting. You know, it's just you're talking to your screen depending on what type of format they're using, you may not even be able to see the audience. It's been like that for a number of conferences that I've been at. And so that can be really, really helpful for people um, when you're first speaking. And then if you're really nervous about it, trying small groups first before you go for a larger group, I would recommend. And then if you want to practice on the skills in general, there's actually an organization that helps you do that. It's called Toastmasters. So they help you work on public speaking in general, and they have small groups all over the world, actually. So it's not just, you know, one country specific. And so you can join a regional or local group to you and start working on public speaking skills, both planned and impromptu as well. And, you know, some people might say, oh, I really hate public speaking, but I would actually encourage everyone, no matter what you do, to work on that skill because you're going to have to interface with other people and there're going to be times in whatever role you're in that you want to convince someone of something and the better you can speak to your points the more likely you're going to be able to convince someone of what it is that you want to happen not that you always will or anything you know rhetoric can only take you so far but the more able you are to speak to it effectively it, it's going to just help so it, it can help you with work presentations, help you with conversations, all sorts of things. Yeah, you dropped like so many good uh, insights there that I thought were awesome. You know, for, for me, I actually spoke at a conference recently and it was virtual and I couldn't see the audience and it was kind of awkward because like, I don't know how it's going. Like I could be totally tanking it and like, I can't see anyone's face. <laughs> so I didn't know. So I kind of like to be able to at least see, at least be able to see who I'm speaking to. Uh, so that was interesting for me. But one thing I t you mentioned too is like, 
you also talked about like when you speak, you need to be, you need to be really knowledgeable on a subject that you're speaking on it. And I find that when I write about something or when I talk about something, I really go and research it a lot and really do like a deep dive on it. So I learn more throughout that process. So it's really beneficial. And you also, you also talked about the the value of like soft skills and communication and storytelling. And I feel like in cybersecurity, that's so important, you know, because you could be the most technical person in the whole career field and be brilliant, like a wizard, you know, but if you can't win people over, if you can't communicate why this is important to the organization or the business, you're not going to get very far. So that was absolutely great insight. Yeah, I actually like to call them essential skills instead of soft skills, because I think they are so important to being able to be effective at whatever role you're in. Yeah, and there's something anyone can work on. So even if you consider that you're really, really good at it, you can you can still work on it. Yeah, that's a. I feel like that's one of those things that we we constantly talk about is it's like this this ability to effectively communicate. Because we can communicate all day long, right? I could I could talk my face off, but if I'm not really communicating a point or you know able to effectively help someone understand what I'm saying, then you know it's sort of moot. Okay, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what does cyber resilience mean to you? Ooh, I, I just I liked even that that was the title for for what you all do because resiliency and resilience and and perseverance, there's such good things to think about and work on. So it's not a binary. It's not a, I have it all or I have none. And I really think it is much more of a thing that you work on consistently. And you can have it like internally, how you're doing best practices and you're working against different struggles that you have. And you're like, oh, I want to continue working on gathering this knowledge. Like, on my end, I know that I know a bit about Python, but I want to continue developing that knowledge. And then I want to continue working on um, some things with malware and like developing my own Yara rules and doing some analysis in that um, standpoint and then some cloud security research as well. So I have like a couple different buckets that I want to work on. And so I think it's constantly thinking about where are you now? What do you want to get to? And you know you're going to have pitfalls. You know you're going to have things that are going to be impediments. And it's how do you constantly iterate and push back against those? And so that's what it means to be cyber resilient to me, that you're you know, thinking about what your practices are or what practices you do in an organization and how you can be continually improving and withstanding whatever impediments that you have, but continuing past those, not, not just wallowing in them. I love that answer. Oh, that's great. It's, it really is my favorite question that we get to ask people just to hear everybody's different perspective. Well, that was our last question that's going to take us out for this week. I wanted to say thank you so much, Megan, for joining us this week. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. It was lovely to be here. Thank you both, Nikki and Chris.